how do you get hundreds of men to charge directly at an enemy military force with the almost certain outcome being death? How do you get him to do it? The answer to that question is the thrust of Paul's conclusion to his letter of Galatians. This final section is much more than a wrap-up. It's a complete reiteration of the letter's central aim. In these last verses, Paul reinforces his main argument of the letter, and he applies it to his hearers in as forceful a fashion as he can. So let's check it out together. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, we, the uh, verses will be on the screen, and also, again, at ljc.life, the verses will be there. So let's look at Galatians chapter 6. We'll look at verses 6, and we'll go all the way through the end of the letter. Verse 6, Paul says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for these words. Thank you for your spirit that is here with us tonight. Thank you for each each soul that is here this evening. And we pray, Father, that these words would, would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would be able to hear these incredible words, this incredible closing to this amazing book. And we pray that tonight would not be something that we do to just check a religious box, but that this would be a meeting, Father, between us and you, our creator, and that by your spirit, we would leave here changed.
And Father, it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so I just read you a lot of verses, and we could do a whole sermon series on this last part of Galatians. It is just jam-packed with stuff, so we're not going to do that. We're, we're actually going to wrap up our Galatians series tonight and begin a Christmas series next week. And so what I'm going to do tonight then is just, I'm going to look at Paul's central argument here in these closing verses, okay? So we're just going to look at the central element. Now, most commentators agree that the central thrust of the end of Galatians is found in verse 14. Let's look at it together. Verse 14, Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Evidently then, this fiery little letter is a call in essence to boast in the cross of Christ and the cross of Christ alone. Now what in the world is Paul talking about? <clears throat> what does he mean that we should boast? What does he mean by the word boast? Well, Paul here is actually borrowing a military term. He's borrowing a military term. So again, I ask the question, how do you get hundreds of men, scared men, to charge directly at an enemy force with the almost certain outcome being death? How do you get them to do it? You boost their confidence. You boost their confidence. You get them to beat their chests and shout at the enemy and hit their drums. You get them to boast. Boasting gets the juices flowing. It gets the adrenaline pumping. You guys remember Mel Gibson's speech to his scared army in Braveheart as they faced the world's most powerful army who was bent on taking everything from them. Do you remember? He said, you have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. But what will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? Fight, and you may die. Run, and you will live, at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Man, I love that scene. It gives me chills every time I watch it. It makes me want to go conquer something. Like go conquer Walmart or Target or something. I, can, I, just, I, have, to, I have to conquer something. But do you see what Mel Gibson's character was doing in that scene? He's trying to boost the confidence 
of his army. He is firing up his troops for battle. Well, that is exactly what Paul is doing here in Galatians. And what is he using to fire you up and give you confidence for the battle? The cross of Christ. Now, most people who are at least somewhat familiar with the Christian tradition have an idea of what the cross is. Maybe not, you know, a, a deep idea and don't understand all the implications, but, you know, they, they kind of get it. Uh, but it's worth reminding ourselves uh, of the true scandal associated with this ancient method of execution. When we strip away all the silly religious sentimentality that surrounds the symbol of the cross, we're confronted with what is, in fact, a horrifying weapon of torture and intimidation. The cross was the electric chair of the ancient world, only it was far worse, far more humiliating, far more gruesome, far less humane than the electric chair. The cross was an altogether hideous way to die. Okay, so what on earth then could Paul possibly mean that he boasts only in the cross? Well, we need to remember that boasting is how we verbalize confidence. It's how we verbalize confidence. It's how we make our hope audible. Boasting is hope that you can hear. Hope that you can hear. And here's why boasting in the cross makes sense. Here's why it makes sense. Jonathan Edwards said that when the chips are down, when things are going rough for us in life, we will begin to boast in whatever we have confidence in. We're grasping at straws, and we'll grab at whatever we happen to have confidence in in life. We'll say, well, at least I'm a good mother. Or we'll say, well, at least I've built a successful business. Or say, well, at least I'm good looking. That's not one that I typically use. Uh, but Edward says, you know, that the devil knows exactly how to outflank all of those boasts that you could come up with. He'll either show you how you're actually a failure at the things that you think you're successful at, or he'll make you a self-righteous Pharisee about it. But what Paul is saying here is that though the devil can always outflank worldly boasting, he can never outflank the cross. He has no argument for it. He has no comeback. You see, it was the cross that stripped him of all his weapons and all his power against us. And Paul is saying that when the chips are down, when life is going rough, when the enemy tries to attack you with stress or anxiety 
or shame or guilt or self-righteousness, etc., etc. That you beat your chest and you hit your drums and you declare to the devil and to yourself the truths of the cross. You declare, I am more than a conqueror through him who died for me. You declare, though my sins are as scarlet, he has washed them white as snow. You declare that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You and I are at war. And the cross is our battle cry. Now, unfortunately, not everyone boasts in the cross. Of course, the Bible says unbelievers see the cross as foolishness. Foolishness. It's just dumb. Silly. Uh, they see Jesus' death as folly, not a symbol of victory. But sadly, even some professing Christians regard the cross of Christ as a reason for embarrassment rather than a ground for boasting. It's just so tempting to want to boast in ourselves, in our accomplishments, in the things that we have done. This is what happened to Peter. Remember when Peter made the shocking claim that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was very pleased with that statement from Peter. Very pleased. And what did Jesus immediately start talking about? He started talking about the cross. He started talking about his coming suffering and death. And this angered Peter. It angered Peter. He had just called him the Son of God, and now he's angry with the Son of God. He said, no, Jesus, no. I will never let that happen to you, ever. And how did Jesus respond? He didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Why did Jesus respond to Peter like that? Because when you try to take Jesus off the cross, you're working for the devil. You're working for the devil. When you try to turn Jesus into a sweet little moral teacher instead of the crucified Savior, of the world. 
You are Satan's mouthpiece. This is the devil's strategy. And it is all too common in churches all around this country and this world today. The message of the cross takes a back seat to all of the relevant topics of the day. And this is the devil's strategy. He wants to take the power of the cross out of your life. Go to church? Fine. Knock yourself out. Read your Bible? Fine. Go for it. Say your prayers? Fine. Sounds good. Pay your tithe? Sure. Go for it. In fact, the devil will actually help you boast about all of those things. He'll help you. He loves making Pharisees. It's like his favorite thing. <laughs> he will help you boast about all of that. So yeah, sure, do all the religious stuff. Do it. Knock yourself out. Do it. Just don't ever reflect. Don't ever reflect on or celebrate or talk about the cross. Reflect on your good works and your obedience, your church attendance. Yeah, do that. That's totally fine. Just don't ever reflect on the cross. This self-righteous stance is exactly what the circumcision group took in Galatia. Uh, that if you've been with us, you see how Paul has just been hammering them for six chapters now. Uh, let's look at verses 12 through 13, 12 through 13. So this circumcision group is who he's referencing here in these verses, 12 through 13. Verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. You see, the circumcision group boasted in themselves rather than the cross. They took pride in their circumcision and their obedience to the law and were trying to get the Christians in Galatia to do the same. And then once they got them to do that, they were going to boast about that. They were going to boast about how they got the Galatian Christians to be circumcised and follow the law. You see, they were dodging the cross. Now, Paul recognizes that only the cross, not the law, not the church, not your small group, not your accountability partner, only the cross kills self-righteousness and the desires of this world. As he says in verse 14, Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross. You and I know that this world is a deadly place. No one gets out alive. But there's one thing deadlier than the world, and it's the cross of Jesus. 
Now, there's never been a more lethal tool made by men in the history of the world other than the cross. There's nothing more sinister and devastating than the cross. And yet, in the wisdom of God, the world's own weapon of destruction has been turned against it. Not in a vindictive way, but in love and in mercy and in forgiveness. For through the cross, God has dealt a fatal blow to this fallen world. And in due time, this world will breathe its last and be no more. The cross kills the world, not by inciting religious jihad, but by crucifying the sinful nature in our souls. For Christians, you see, a crucifixion has already taken place. It happened at our salvation. Even though we do continue to put to death that which remains. Yet, death is not the ultimate goal of the cross. Life is. Life is the goal. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Huh? You see, God's design goes beyond the crucifixion. It goes beyond the crucifixion. His designs move toward resurrection, toward new life, toward new creation. By sending His Son into the world, God the Father dealt a death blow to the world. So much so that He blew open a hole large enough for the new creation. You see, the cross is what clears the way for God's new world. The cross clears the way for God's new world. You see, in the Christian story, crucifixion is followed by resurrection. Death by life. Good Friday by Easter. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins and he died and he was buried yet on the third day on the third day he rose from the dead in total victory and now he reigns over all things this is the gospel this is christianity this is our religion it's what it is it's not the central element. It's not the foundational element. It is the element. This is Christianity. Without this gospel, there is no Christianity. This is it. This is the hope that we proclaim. The death of our king, yes, but also the resurrection of our king who now reigns in victory and is creating a new world right now. Right now as we sit here, he's making it. He's not waiting until later. He's not up in heaven on the throne of glory playing tiddlywinks. 
He is creating his new world right now. And you say, well, how so? How so? Well, he is doing it by his spirit with you and with me. With you and with me. You see, the dawning of this new creation is in the lives of God's people. It's in the lives of God's people. It's in the church as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's new world. It is in Jesus' church that we see the sovereign Spirit recreating humanity in the image of Christ, infusing our souls with his presence and adorning our lives with his character. I know that if you scroll on social media too long or if you watch the news too long, it won't seem like God is recreating anything. But if you'll turn those things off for just a minute and look at the people in this room and look in the mirror and see what the Spirit has done in your own life and in the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters, you'll see. You'll see new creation. I don't know about you, but I am a new creation. You did not want to know me before I met Jesus. It doesn't always feel that way, but it is the case. Just ask my wife. You did not want to know me before Jesus. Jesus is making a new creation out of all of us. But never forget, as Paul has made abundantly clear in this letter, that the cross is at the center of it all. The cross is at the center. We never actually move past it. This Again, this is our religion. This is it. But there's nowhere to go from here. This is it. This is our religion. You see, in Galatians, Paul says that the cross is what rescues us from the present evil age. Chapter 1, verse 4. He says the cross is what unleashes the powerful presence of the Spirit. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says the cross clears the way for Abraham's blessing. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. He says the cross is what ushers in the era of adoption and sonship. Verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. He says the cross gives birth to freedom. Chapter 4, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 1. And he says the cross is what produces the fruit of the Spirit. Chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. Maybe this is why Paul said he preaches nothing except Christ and him crucified. It's certainly why life's journey preaches it. The cross will take a back seat to absolutely nothing at this church. Absolutely nothing. You see, when we're, when we're confident in the cross, when we're confident in the cross of Christ, what he has done for us, even to the point of boasting about it, we will start thinking radical thoughts and doing radical things. Not only for each other, but even for our enemies. 
we will be willing to suffer for the good of this city. Confident that suffering is the proof. It's the proof rather than the counter evidence of our life in Christ. Look at verse 17. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus that Paul is talking about here are the visible, tangible reminders of how he suffered with Christ for the advance of the gospel and the good of others. Paul was crazy, man. <laughs> Some scholars think that he, was, he had so many scars on his face that he was unrecognizable. You could not recognize him. He had so many scars. There's one story in the New Testament of where they dragged, Paul was preaching the gospel, they dragged Paul out of the city, and they stoned him. They threw rocks at him until he was dead, at least until they thought he was dead. We don't know whether he actually died or whether he was resurrected, but either way, he got up, bloody and beaten and broken. He dragged himself back into the city and said, now where was I? Ah, yes, point number three. And he kept preaching the gospel. Who made Paul do that? Who made him do it? Nobody. Paul wanted to do that. He wanted to do that. Why? The cross. The cross is why. Because Jesus bled and suffered for Paul in Paul's place. And he said, if he's going to die for me, then I'm going to die for him. If he's going to suffer for me, then I'm going to suffer for him. Was the cross that motivates somebody to do something like that. And it's the cross that will motivate me, and it's the cross that will motivate you to do radical things in this city. Radical things. Confidence in the cross produces a cross-shaped life. It just does. You don't have to try. It just does. When you have confidence in the cross, your life will look like a cross. One where you will gladly bear the marks of Jesus as if they were badges of honor. So I will close this sermon and this sermon series by leaving you with an important question. Is your life rooted in God's grace found at the cross? Are you looking there and there alone for every good thing in life and for eternity? If you are, then you can bank on this. Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. 
Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. Father, we know the cross is so wondrous, so beautiful, so glorious, so inexplicable that even thousands of years from today, we will be talking about it. We will be in awe of it. We'll still be in shock by it. What a truly unique God you are. That rather than damning sinners like us, you damned your son instead. <laughs> what a God. What a God. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for your precious son who died on it. And thank you that he is not dead anymore, but he is alive and well and ruling and reigning over all things. Father, thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would give us your spirit to make him and his cross the very center of our lives the very center of this church. Let it be the only thing that we even care about because we know that all things will come naturally through our love of your son and what he has done for us. Give us your spirit and always, always, always Bring us back to the cross.